0: Stop it. Don't open that door. Hello, Internet, and welcome to Game Theory. It's, it's not game theory. This is the Masters of Unlocking podcast. If you thought it was game theory, you're an idiot. I'll tell you right now. I just came from having drinks with a friend. I was just in, this, in the pre-prep uh, of this uh, episode. I was talking to Scott about having drinks with a friend um, before this episode. And this friend of mine uh, does not care about video games. I know. I should uh, disown him right away. But he doesn't care about video games. But I still steered the conversation toward video games. Uh, so while it may have invalidated our friendship. It solidified the fact that you are listening to the right podcast right now because the co-host of this podcast doesn't give a shit about his real life friends. He only cares about you, the listener, uh, somehow. I don't really know how the logic of that works out to be quite frank. You really unlocked the crap out of this (laughs) opening. (laughs) You know what? The one thing I have on this podcast is, uh, (laughs) is, is increasingly confusing intros. Um, and I think <laughs> I think if I can maintain that momentum, then that'll be my mark. You know, Scott, you bring uh, you bring brevity uh, to this podcast and I bring just crazy weird intros that, that will, at the very beginning, let's be fair, either tell the listener that, hey, I'm listening to someone I want to keep listening to. I enjoy this crazy journey. Or, yeah, this isn't for me. I'm out of here. And, and that's <laughs> what we want. Again, to reiterate, we want those who don't know what they're into or what they're getting into, to leave. Go somewhere else. We're listener. all about
1: saving people time. Efficiency is right. key here. If you can tune in for 30 seconds
0: and understand,
1: <laughs> you know, I I don't have time for these idiots. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, go play some video games. That's exactly. what you should be doing. Right? You just got a whole so, hour back. Yeah, you
1: are welcome. Or an, a Canadian hour, which I think is like a, an hour and a half American.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure how that it Depends. Works. Yeah, so uh, you got your time, you, you get time back in your day to play video games, and I think that's probably a great lead into kind of what we're playing. Uh, but before we do that, I do at least want to let people know that we are the Masters of Unlocking podcast. I should probably truly address who we are here at the beginning. Uh, I am Caleb J. Ross, uh, co-host of the Masters of Unlocking podcast, and with me is Scott, the BG Collectaholic online. So um, you're in good hands, I promise you. If you're new to this podcast, you are in good hands, uh, we really care about you, the listener, um, unless, of course, you don't know what you're listening to, then go somewhere else. So with that being said, hopefully you're not the type of listener who now has an hour back in their day because you're still listening to this. But after this podcast, maybe we can give you some ideas of what you should be playing because we can talk about what we've been playing. Scott, what have you been playing lately? As we all know, a couple of weeks ago was October 27th, a date
1: which shall live in fummy. Not infamy, but just <laughs> fummy, which yeah. must be good. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, it's not like infamous. The, uh, no, no. The most famous, right?
0: <laughs> the penultimate
1: famous. Exactly. There's the second best
0: famous, yeah.
1: So of those games, the one that has been consuming my life is Assassin's Creed Origins. And I know that I'm probably an outlier. And I know a lot of people on Twitter have been singing the praises of Mario Odyssey and <laughs> hopping into Wolfenstein 2. a lot of folks in the cartridge club at cartridgeclub.org have been playing the Wolfenstein two after playing Wolfenstein, uh, earlier this year, but I'm a history nerd. I love ancient history, especially. And my undergrad is actually in ancient Mediterranean history. So I'd spent a lot of time, uh, in ancient Egypt in in my um, many years of uh, wasted youth. (laughs) So I'm really enjoying the setting for Assassin's Creed. It's probably the setting that I've enjoyed most in any Assassin's Creed game. Now, By and large, most Ubisoft games are the exact same thing with diff- different skins. You climb a tower, you unflog a map, you go do a bunch of side quests, and then you rinse and repeat. But at least this time I get to do it while climbing the Great Pyramid and doing some tomb diving and uh, slaughtering crocodiles and hippos and having a blast exploring all that there is in, in ancient Egypt. Is it only the setting that is keeping you interested, do you think? Probably. Yeah. I, I've sort of ebbed and flowed in the Assassin's Creed line with along with the setting. The Ezio trilogy, the second Assassin's Creed 2, and then its spin-offs spinoffs uh, or sequels, I guess, Brotherhood and Revelations, were probably my favorite Assassin's Creed trilogy or favorite setting. I guess no, I shouldn't say setting. Favorite games in the series, even though I didn't particularly care for the renaissance setting of, of Italy. I'm enamored with ancient Rome, but less so with Renaissance-era Rome. But I just thought the storyline was the best in that, in the ancient period. The modern stuff I can absolutely deal without. If, if Assassin's Creed ditched that entire modern side of the story arc, I would be a okay with that.
0: Yeah, I've, I've, uh, I've never played an Assassin's Creed game. We've talked about this in the past. And and uh, this particular incarnation uh, didn't interest me enough to really dive into it. So I don't know. I, it's interesting, because while you prefaced uh, your statement by saying most people are singing the praises of Mario Odyssey and Wolfenstein 2. And it wasn't until you said that, that I realized, yeah, I haven't been hearing as much about Assassin's Creed origins as I thought I would. And I don't know if that's because I, as I just admitted, am not an Assassin's Creed fan. So I've, I've unconsciously divorced myself from that conversation. But as someone who's involved in that conversation, is your earlier statement correct? Do you feel like there are actually more people just talking about Mario and Wolfenstein than there is Assassin's Creed?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think both of those are, they still have a fresh factor to them, whereas mm-hmm. this is now the, yeah you know, really the, I think, sixth or seventh iteration of of um the main characters in the assassin's creed line i think it's i think the first game came out like 10 years ago Mm. you know so it's it's old hat at this point and there really hasn't been much innovation in really any ubisoft game since like 1974. (laughs) I just think that a lot of people have been there and done that. And if they haven't played Assassin's Creed, they've probably played Far Cry, which is just Mm -hmm. modern Assassin's Creed with guns. Uh, You do still do the same tower climbing, unfogging map, run a bunch of side quests, rinse, repeat. Mm-hmm. Or even some of their racing games are the same way. You know, you have to get to a spot on the map to unfog it, and then you get more side quests for racing. It's, it's the tried and true Ubisoft formula. And mm-hmm. I think you've got with Mario Odyssey, everybody is loving you know just the the fresh take on Mario in a, a modern world. And Wolfenstein still has that fresh feel, and I think we may see more of the Wolfenstein side of the conversation just by nature of our membership in the cartridge club. And that's been such a a talking point for really the last half year as Mm -hmm. one of the, the cartridge club games that a lot of folks played together and really socialized the, the gameplay.
0: Yeah. And that's actually the games that I've been really been invested in. So, uh, both Mario Odyssey and, uh, Wolfenstein too. That's kind of what I've been playing lately. Uh, finished Mario Odyssey recently, uh, finished in the terms of, I, I beat the main story. And for me, most games, It's the core story that I'll play. Uh, I I won't do too much new game plus. I won't do too much side questing after I've beaten it. During my playthrough, if I'm enjoying it, I'll do as many side quests as possible to prolong the inevitable completion of the game. But uh, I've been playing a lot of Mario Odyssey, and it it is really as great as everyone says it is. It's so much fun. Um, It's very easy, uh, which I, as a fan of easy games, as I've gone on record many times of of saying, uh, I, I really enjoyed it. So I may I'll go back to it in the sense that my only on the occasion that my kids want to watch it. I have two kids, a four year old and eight year old boys, uh, and they love watching me play it. So I will go back and play it a little bit uh, when they're around. But really, now my focus is entirely Wolfenstein 2, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Uh, I really am. It's it's exactly what I wanted from another Wolfenstein game. To your to your point earlier, the cartridge club rallied around Wolfenstein, uh, the uh, the New Order. Uh, when Wolfenstein 2 was announced, a lot of us wanted to replay that uh, game, that first game, and so we did, and it was a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with it, so a lot of us are playing it now, and it's it's every bit as as much as I it's everything I hoped that it would be for a game. So I'm having a lot of fun with that, and and it's been great. So that's awesome. I mean, what a yeah. what a time to be a
1: gamer. You know, we've mm-hmm. got just great release after great release and I saw a conversation on Twitter earlier this week I think it was talking about wondering whether this was the one of the best years in gaming history release wise just with the Nintendo switch and all of the um, really high quality games that have have come out uh, here and and still have are yet to come out yeah. Toward the end of the year,
0: I I would probably throw my hat into that ring and say that yeah, it it could very well be one of the best game best years in gaming. I have been gaming since uh, the NES, and uh, I took a break during the Wii and Wii U era and PlayStation Three era, Um, but everything before that, so everything up until PlayStation Two, GameCube, all that kind of uh, world, and then everything post that, beginning with PlayStation Four and Xbox, that kind of stuff. I've been really involved in it and. I will say this year feels different. it really does. Um, and I know there's a danger uh, there's there's a, there's a social theory I, I can't think of it right now, but there's a social theory that recency bias is maybe so that sounds very reasonable <laughs> um, where you uh, you feel like your current time is different and unique than other times and what you realize is it's not it's just because you you have a, a distance from those other ones. But with that in mind, I, th- I feel comfortable in saying that, yeah, it's been kind of different this year. It really has
1: been. I have played a ton more modern games than I normally would this year. Uh, I spent a ton of time in Zelda Breath of the Wild, a lot of time in Assassin's Creed, South Park, Fractured But Whole. And then there's, of course, Horizon Zero Dawn and Nier Automata, which for me are probably neck and neck. And I know... Caleb, you were in on the near Automata bandwagon as well, but both of those are neck and neck for me with Zelda Breath of the Wild for Game of the Year thus far. Um, Resident Evil 7, Persona 5, and then not to mention quite a few of the games that I haven't even played yet, like What Remains of Edith Finch, Prey, and Splatoon 2, which I know a lot of the Cartridge Club folks are having a blast with. I I haven't found myself playing really hardly any retro games uh, at all this year. Really, it's just been a couple of times when I've had friends over and we pop in something on the Super Nintendo or N64 just because that's what a lot of people our age remember who aren't gamers. I -hmm. hang out with non-gamers, too, and I need to stop doing (laughs) that. That's a terrible, (laughs) terrible error
0: error in judgment. Damn right it is. Get rid of them. Send them over to the uh, Bonus Barrel podcast. They'll take them. They'll take take everybody. They'll take everybody. (laughs) (laughs) What uh, what games have you picked up that you haven't necessarily been playing? Well, I've picked
1: up quite a few modern games again. I've gotten a lot of PS4 titles over this past uh, couple of weeks. One of the games that I'm really excited about is Summon Night 6, which is by Gaijin Works. Which is a studio that was started by Vic Ireland as a spiritual successor to Working Designs. Working Designs is one of my favorite publishers back in the Sega CD era, right up through the late PlayStation 2 era when they sadly went out of business, I think in 2004, 2005. Working Designs was a publisher. They were a lot like Atlas or NIS America. They specialized in localizing Japanese games for the Western market. And Working Designs was really responsible for a good chunk of some of the most sought-after titles from that era. Some of the top Sega CD games, Sega Saturn, uh, PlayStation 1, and PlayStation 2. Things like Lunar, Popful Mail, Vey, the Girl Lancer series, Dragon Force, Magic Knight Ray Earth, Elemental Gearbol- Gearbolt, um, just a ton of great RPGs and shmups, many of which actually had quite a few different variants for disc art and cover art. And the Working Designs artwork was always really colorful, and having all of those variants on top of being great games really just makes the Working Designs games a, a really fun subset to collect for. But getting back to Gaijin Works now, they've really continued that dedication to localizing niche games and for the past four years or so have been really supporters of physical media um, and opponents of the whole loot crate slash season pass mentality that the AAA publishers have. And just the other day they actually tweeted out a jab at EA saying how Summon Night 6 has zero loot crates or expansion packs and that the entire game was on the disc uh, like a game should be, and of course I loved that. Summon Knight 6 is a strategy RPG that this is the second, I believe, game in the Summon Knight series to be uh, localized and brought over to the West. So if you're a fan of, of strategy RPGs, definitely check it out. The launch... Bundle. It's available for both PlayStation 4 and Vita. The launch edition of it actually comes with a really nice full color manual and everything, which I I like. It's a little hearkening back to retro gaming when games actually came with nice manuals to flip through. Hmm, Nice. And then another uh, Japanese type style game that i got this is a a remaster is dot hack gu last recode and it's a compilation a remastered compilation of all of the dot hack gu game series that came out for playstation 2 takes place in like a almost like a a massively multiplayer online game world almost like uh, sword art online and you take the so the whole thing is set inside of a game world but it's a spinoff of the main .hack series, which was also for PlayStation 2. So I'm hoping they remaster that as well, because th- both of those series on PlayStation 2 have gotten really expensive. So this is a good way to get into it. I think it's like a $30, $30, $35 release, something like that. One game that I'm really interested in checking out, I bought this on a whim on Amazon because it was dirt cheap and it was an import and I think I paid like $10 for it. It's called Yesterday Origins on PlayStation 4. It's an adventure game that's got sort of a, it's almost sort of a Highlander bent to it. The main character is a guy Origin. he was born back in the uh, 1500s and through some sort of alchemical torture that was done to him at the hands of the inquisition he basically becomes immortal except he he can die and when he dies he comes back to life however he all of his memories are wiped and he comes upon this companion who has the same sort of affliction and so they're going through trying to find a cure for this memory wipe, this memory reset. I think it's a sort of a point-and-click adventure, if I understand. I just literally, it showed up in the mail today. So if I ever actually finish all of the side quests in Assassin's Creed Origins, <laughs> uh, hoping to pop that one in. And then got a couple of Switch games, Retro City Rampage, um, which was a limited release. Mm-hmm. Um, Sign Mora X and then i think that one's becoming a little bit harder to find so i snapped that up i think i got it on on amazon relatively cheap i think it was only like 12 or 15 bucks so that was nice to cross that off the list And then as I worked toward a complete Wii U set with all of the cover art variants, I'd knocked out two of the variant covers that I was missing. The Rayman Legends GameStop edition. It was one of the few titles that came out with uh, specific covers for retailers um, with different uh, DLC in them. And then... Kind of an oddity is the Just Dance 2015. I know it's uh, really exciting to be talking about (laughs) Just Dance. But there's a, a variant cover of the 2015 version on Wii U that's actually a Nintendo Selects title, which is... A little bit strange. I don't remember ever seeing it in the stores when it was out. I think it came and went. Pretty hard to find and they don't pop up on eBay very frequently. So snagged one of those at a really, really dirt cheap price. And then two pieces of hardware that I picked up. I got the Xbox One X Scorpio edition and a Neo Geo pocket color flash cart. Uh, made by Saint on the Atari Age forums. Um, so, gonna pop that in and do a little bit of uh,
0: handheld gaming on the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Nice, nice, nice. Are you which one are you more excited about, the Xbox One X or the Neo Geo Pocket Color? Be honest. It's the Neo Geo Pocket Color. Yeah, of course. Yeah. of course.
1: I mean, I've had a, I've had an Xbox One since the thing came out and i've never actually played an xbox one game not (laughs) not once
0: so the the purchase of the xbox one x then i can assume is more the collector in you than the tech uh guy in you
1: oh absolutely when they announced the xbox one x i was deriding it because like they they announced it right alongside the xbox one s and the Xbox One S, or I think it was during, right next to a price drop for the Xbox One S. And that really made the Xbox One S a really compelling product. And then when they came out with the $500 price tag on the Xbox One X, and I don't really see a lot of compelling difference between the two. I mean, for to justify a 300 plus price difference. And I realized that the Xbox One X has got a, a ton of beefy hardware in it but i just don't see the i don't see it being a 300 hundred dollar upgrade to the the xbox one s now however if you release it in a nice fancy package and put project scorpio on the side of it <laughs> man now that's that's worth 300 extra bones and you tap it. right into that collector market exactly and that's what uh, just <laughs> opened my vein and uh just dropped that
0: collector heroin right on into the main line there oh man God, I I hope that we never get to a point where manufacturers are only marketing to collectors, because then I think that's when quality kind of kind of go down the crapper. But I don't think we'll ever get to that point. So there's a legitimate concern there.
1: I mean, if you look at like the the baseball card industry, that's essentially what killed the baseball card industry was. Uh, it became less about just you know the fun of opening packs and, and looking at uh, player stats and stuff as, as it did about everything was a super limited edition die cut signature jersey card. And every pack mm-hmm. had like two cards in it and cost $12. <laughs> and, I mean, it essentially drove out the younger kid collectors. And mm-hmm.
0: once you've done that, you have no sustainability really. Yeah. Yeah, uh, Xbox One X. One of these days, I will continue to ignore you. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, as for me, I uh very low on the acquisitions uh, this this week, and hopefully I'm getting back to a point when I can honor the statements I've made many times before that I'm on a game-buying hiatus. Not
1: <laughs> going to happen, my friend. <laughs> I'll take, uh, yeah, the, I'll take the over on whatever over-under they we set.
0: <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, to remind everyone, my game-buying hiatus is really, <laughs> the rules and restrictions around that are very flexible. Uh, I pre-ordered games, games that had, I had pre-ordered before that uh, are not part of this hiatus, and limited-run limited run games are also not part of this hiatus. So that alone tells you that uh, it's not. I'm not very committed to it. Uh, but when I tell you the game that I did receive, you'll realize it's no—it's neither a pre-order nor a limited run game uh, edition, and that is the uh, Retro City Rampage for Nintendo Switch. I—I uh, I don't know why I bought it. I—I I, I think uh, it's definitely a game that I will enjoy. I—I I know I will enjoy it just because it's—it's it's all of the people's whose opinions I respect and Trust have told me it's a great game, so I know it's going to be a good game, but the truth is, I have a backlog of 20, 30 games that I should be playing, and so Retro City Rampage was not what I needed to buy, and so the only reason I really did buy it was because I knew it was one that was not going to be manufactured for very long, uh, it, it was sold as a collector's item, so in that particular aspect, I think I did buy into the whole, it's limited, it, it's going to be a collector's edition, and. I don't feel good about it, but I bought it. I think I'll enjoy it. I I, I really am looking forward to playing it. And now that I've completed uh, as much as I want to play Super Mario Odyssey, I do need a game to play as I'm drifting off to sleep. So it seems this would be a reasonable next game to play. I don't have any backlog switch games. So I should be, this should be, this is the, really the only one to play after Mario Odyssey. So I'm excited about that. Uh, The other pickup I received, I haven't received it yet in the mail. But a co-host known as VG Collectaholic, that some of you may have heard of, uh, tweeted recently that there are masters of unlocking shirts available, and uh, I, I was aware of this, but I didn't re—I kind of, I guess, dismissed it as, sure, that sounds cool. Um, but once I saw the tweet and I was reminded, oh yeah, this is a thing. Uh, I checked them out. The masters of unlocking logo is phenomenal. I don't know if you guys have seen it; it's really good. You, you, you'll you'll fall in love. Now that it's on a shirt, I'm. I actually think I'm on board with this podcast now. I, I don't know if uh, that uh, that is a shocking uh, revelation to you, Scott, but it's pretty great. And we're like re- we're official. Now. Yeah, yeah.
1: We have a logo. We have shirts. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. People actually download us and put the put us into their brain mm-hmm. on purpose. <laughs> At least I think it's on purpose.
0: <laughs> We're used for torture in a lot of areas.
1: They may actually be looking for tips on how to pick locks and, and learn about cat burglary and things (laughs) like that. In which case I, I hope that they realize by episode seven or eight (laughs) now that, uh, this isn't the place, but you never know. You know
0: what? I'm I'm going to start opening my my intros with legitimate lock picking tips. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I think that'll be fun. <laughs> but yeah, I'm looking. I'm very excited about donning the Masters of Unlocking T-shirt. I think I got a green colored one. It's uh, through T Public, nice. so you can choose what color you want. And I will say. Uh, I've also ordered other t-shirts through that. The most recent t-shirt I've ordered through TeePublic is the Cartridge Club t-shirt. And they have, um, I don't know what the name of it is, but there's like, a, there's there's your standard solid colors and then there's sort of your mixed uh, blend fabric-y, uh, there's a name for it. I should look it up. Heather. Is that it, Heather, where it's kind of yeah. like, a, it's a softer material almost. It's not just the colors different, but the actual material is a little bit softer as well. Um, but anyway, that's, that, that's the one that I get. When you look at the color selection, you'll see a very solid, obvious color. And then you'll see one that's a bit, uh, uh, what's the word?
1: It's almost got like a, like a gray kind of marbling to it. Yeah. Dithered.
0: I think dithered was the word I was looking for. Oh, so yeah, that's way fancier. <laughs> than I've got. If you know what dithered means, then that's what this looks like. The little icon, but it'll, uh, it's just a very soft like material. And so I, I got the, uh, I got the cartridge club shirt that had that material and I love that shirt. I wear it all the time. Uh, that's what I got for this Masters of Unlocking T-shirt, so I'm very excited to wear it.
1: Yeah, they're they're good stuff. Mm-hmm. Definitely check them out. We we've got uh, the link up on our website, mastersofunlocking.com, and they actually the the site that we use to to generate them all and that is purchased through. It's all secure and everything. Um, they actually have sales quite frequently where you can pick up shirts for. I think normally they're twenty bucks, and a lot of times they have them on sale for fourteen. So. Uh, If you're looking to save a little cash, check them out when sales are going live. We tweet out about the sales and keep people posted because that way you have more money to spend on video games.
0: Absolutely. And I think purchasing a shirt would be, uh, you should celebrate, celebrate all the events in your life by, uh, by purchasing a shirt, you know, not just, not just your own birthday, but, uh, perhaps the birthday of something else you love. That's not you, perhaps maybe a console. That's right. Happy 16th
1: birthday to the Xbox. Woot. Yeah, this week. Thurs uh, I think Thursday the uh november 15th is that thursday or no wednesday mm. of this week so as we launch on monday it's uh, upcoming here just enough time for you to go run to the store and get your party hats and <laughs> and uh streamers and things and you can really hop on the bandwagon and celebrate the fact that the xbox is now the same age as the mentality of most people in xbox live chats burn <laughs> Uh, have you been on board with the Xbox since the beginning, Scott? I have not. I was a, I was always a PlayStation guy. I didn't actually own an original Xbox until after its life cycle. I jumped into the Xbox brand when the Xbox 360 launched. Xbox 360 was my primary console for that generation until i went through four straight red rings and then i switched over to the playstation 3 playstation 3 had a really slow launch mm-hmm. i had picked up one of the launch units which i I'm, i like having now because it's backward compatible has the the hardware playstation one and playstation 2 inside of it but the first year of that system's life cycle was abysmal mm-hmm. sony really dropped the ball on that whole launch and really the red ring fiasco for 360 kind of allowed them to claw back into the, into that generation somewhat. But then I, I really got into the original Xbox just within the last couple of years here as I tried to look for a system that wasn't too expensive to collect for as one of my next uh, complete sets. And that's really kind of gotten me back into the Xbox brand But by and large, just because it doesn't fare very well in Japan, they don't have very many of the niche games. They don't have very many um, shmups. They don't have very many RPGs um, or, you know, kind of that quirky Japanese style indie stuff. And that's typically what I tend to prefer. Mm -hmm. I don't really like first person shooters on console and racing games I enjoy, but really I can play one and maybe one a year. Um, And that's about it. And that kind of tends to be the Xbox's niche and has really been from the
0: start. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I guess what you're trying to say is like, uh, fuck Xbox, let's go to PlayStation. Is that what you're saying? But also happy birthday. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Happy birthday, Xbox. Yeah. Okay, PlayStation. Uh, So (laughs) PlayStation (laughs) recently had their Paris Games Week. Uh, which, uh, you know, I think all of... Uh, during E3, a lot of us, at least in the Cartridge Club, were thinking, yeah, e is great, but there's another PlayStation thing that's happening. We shouldn't really focus on E3, although it's great. We should also look to... Paris Games Week as well as well as the Xbox. Uh, what's the other uh, big event they have?
1: The PlayStation Experience. Yeah, there's...
0: I think that's uh, like the end of the year. Yeah, the, it
1: seems like this Paris Games Week one sort of popped up out of yeah. nowhere. At least on my radar, I didn't even wasn't even paying attention, and then on Twitter that morning I saw, oh well, look at this!
0: There's a PlayStation thing going on. I should probably pay attention to this. <laughs> yeah, it was it was pretty interesting. um I remember hearing about it during obviously E3, but people talking about that that was kind of one of the things that was going to come up. I didn't realize that it was going to be, I thought it was really just going to be a rehash of a bunch of games that we already were aware of. But to me, anyway, there was a lot of games uh, that I would be interested by that I didn't really know about so i don't know i don't know what your take is on that yeah i there were obviously there were several that were known
1: and have been previewed and shown videos of several times things like insomniac spider-man quantic dreams detroit become human obviously shadow of the colossus which you know we've known about for a decade because it's been now what is this a like quadruple dip <laughs> i i feel like pretty soon there's going to be like a TI 86 version of Shadow <laughs> of the Colossus. You could play it on your calculator in the back of class. That would be amazing. Right have one for the 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 Motorola (laughs) Razor. that would be so great but then there were a couple of things especially during the the pre-show I don't even think this was part of the the actual event but before the live stream started they had a segment that was just a bunch of people talking about more of the the indie level releases and they actually had a pretty substantial list of PlayStation VR titles that were coming up which I thought was nice because I I really am enjoying the PlayStation VR but there's definitely some some issues and some quirks
0: with it, which we'll get into it a little bit later. Is there anything that came out that was announced that you thought that will now make people finally really embrace PSVR? Or do you think it's still kind of a niche thing, even given these promises of these new games? I definitely think it's a
1: niche thing. I just don't think the technology is anywhere near mainstream ready yet. And I just think that any sort of peripheral that's not part of a core system functionality will always be niche, whether it was Kinect, whether it was light gun games, whether it was uh, the power glove. You know, it, you, anytime you put a additional substantial purchase in front of something in front of a consumer in order to make a game function, that's always going to be really significantly limit the the potential market scope mm-hmm. and especially when the the that peripheral is an extra three hundred dollars but i do i am glad that they're continuing to support it uh because i do think it is a, a neat tech demo if nothing else um and it's it's fun it frankly they're fun little party games but they're definitely they're definitely appetizer size uh,
0: game experiences and not the seven course meal yeah I- i'm with you i think uh, anytime you demand that much, f- n- not just mental dedication but physical dedication to an experience, you're you're asking a lot of your players. You're asking a lot of your audience. Uh, you know, you're asking them. Not, uh, I think, what people forget about VR and really forget about peripherals in general is that you're not just saying turn on a turn on a, a machine and start playing a game. You're saying, oh, you also have to put this thing over your head. You have to put these things in each one of your hands. You also have to make sure your room is capable of, you know, you're asking a lot for what ultimately becomes more of a a novelty experience. And this is coming from someone who's actually never played a VR game, but I've also never had the desire to play a VR game because I can recognize that you're asking too much of me. I'm too lazy is what it comes down to. I've
1: got a PlayStation VR, and I find that there are a lot of times where I think, oh, you know, I'd like to play uh, Drive Club or... Uh, Eve, you know, Valkyrie, because those are the type of games that I think work best, at least at this point with VR, where it's a you know, cockpit style game. I think they just translate really well and really easily. But there are a lot of times when I think, you yeah, know, I'd like to play that. And then I start looking at the PlayStation VR, and I've got to actually go about and rehook the whole thing mm-hmm. up every single time I want to play it. And this might be a good time to jump into just quickly at least a segue into a segment that we were going to discuss later on about another announcement that came out was that Sony's redesigning the PlayStation VR headset and the the processing unit. And this gets back to the, the ease of use because one of my biggest complaints about the PlayStation VR as it exists today is that it doesn't have HDR pass through. The way HDR pass-through works is all of the units in the chain from the PlayStation itself through all the way to your display have to be HDCP 2.2 iteration, but it's got to be compliant. HDCP is a copy protection protocol, and it's really designed so that people can't rip or copy the, Mm. you know, the highest quality video and for digital content. Well, if every piece of hardware in your chain is not HDCP 2.2 compliant, then it disallows anything that requires that level of hardware protection. So HDR is one of those things. 4K HDR will not pass through anything that isn't compliant with this level of HDCP. And the actual processing unit for the PlayStation VR is not compliant and which is ridiculous because the whole time when they were announcing this PlayStation VR they kept hammering about how it's going to work best with PlayStation 4 Pro and how it's it's really going to take advantage of everything that the PlayStation 4 Pro has to offer and then they release it and it breaks one of the key selling points of the PlayStation 4 Pro so you can't use PlayStation you can't use HDR on your PlayStation 4 Pro if you have a PlayStation VR hooked up in the chain anywhere hmm. You can't even have it turned off and in the chain; it will not work. So you've actually got to physically unhook the HDMI cable from the PlayStation VR processor, hook the, you know, the cable, HDMI cable, up from your TV instead. And it's just a lot of, it's just a giant pain in the ass, frankly, for just what has to have amounted to just a cost-saving move from Sony. Very short-sighted, very consumer-unfriendly. Just a just a whole level of dipshittery that should never have made it out of the r d department but they're finally fixing that so if you'll notice you'll see a lot of retailers this black friday are selling all kinds of new bundles for playstation vr that's just them trying to get rid of stock so if you're interested in playstation vr at all do not buy it this holiday season. Wait until they haven't re- announced the actual release date yet of the the Model Two PlayStation VR, um, PlayStation VR. But my guess is that it will come out early next year after they've sold through their backlog
0: of PlayStation VR shit version one. <laughs> oh man, I'm really excited to continue not caring about PlayStation VR. Thank you for all of that. <laughs> 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 you're very welcome. Yeah. I'll get off of my HDR soapbox. No, now. it was but actually uh, what you confirmed for me is that even the simplest process is too complex for the average consumer. Like the, the the reason why consoles work is because you plug something in, you plug a controller in, and you're good to go. Like it's such a simple, obvious thing, um, and that's that's one of the things that keeps me from even embracing something like a PC. Because I know, oh, like with a PC, I have to learn the specs. I have to learn what games will work and what games won't work. And I know with a PlayStation, I look at a blue box on a shelf and I, I know that'll work. That, that's going to work. Yep. I don't have to think about it. And that's what, the, I think that's what most people, they just don't want to think about it. And PSVR, any VR is still, it, there's too much thinking about it.
1: Yep. Not only is it an extra purchase, but it's an extra learning curve in front of people. And you just, that's just a terrible idea.
0: Yep. It, it's path of least, least resistance, right? If you can just continue using your PlayStation as it is right now, a PlayStation, then you'll do that. You don't, you you won't buy an extra peripheral. Absolutely. Yep. Cool. Well, what other, but it, what else uh, at, at Paris Games Week has uh, interested you? I think we were probably both most excited
1: by the same thing. And that was Sucker Punch's Ghost of Tsushima. Yeah.
0: I had no idea this was even a thing. Uh, And it just, it looks really cool. Absolutely. It just completely caught me off guard. And they really, they, I think they
1: opened the Mm -hmm. entire event. Yeah. They opened the event with it. Just a sprawling open world feudal Japan action game. Mm -hmm. It was mostly cinematic in the video but it looks it looks right at my alley. I love Japanese history. Something about Japanese culture has just always appealed to me. And I don't know if it was the fact that as we were growing up, Japan always had this, you know, video game like mythos to it and being from you know, where I grew up, you didn't have access to any import game stores or anything like that. It was just something that you would see in in game magazines as, oh, this is out in Japan and <laughs> someday it might come over to the US. It was sort of this unknown world back then and really just made me fall in love with learning more about Japanese history and Japanese culture.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I want it to be like a, uh, a Red Dead, a Grand Theft Auto, but with samurais in japan like that's what i want it to be now i know that's that's putting it high on a pedestal and it perhaps could potentially be more streamlined than that and not really be as open world as that but even if that's not what it is just the idea that someone is thinking about wouldn't it be cool if we did japanese samurai history in an open world environment like that would be cool so maybe if that's not what this is maybe this will be the 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 uh, trigger that causes other developers to think that could be a good idea.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And actually, I was reading an article after the event, uh, posted on the PlayStation blog, and it was by Nate Fox, who's the game director at Sucker Punch, and he actually called it uh, a open world feudal Japan um, action game. So, mm. I mean, he he really went on in the in the article um, about how it was open world and. Um, You are going to get to, you know, run all over the place and experience different types of characters and landscapes and and different story arcs. And um, just reading his his article on PlayStation Blog got me even more excited about the game than the video did itself. Definitely recommend checking that out. I'll put it in the show notes.
0: You mentioned uh, (laughs) having... Certain games that would want you to learn more about or that would encourage you to learn more about Japanese history. You were a Nintendo Power subscriber as a child, correct? Or or no? I didn't
1: subscribe to Nintendo Power until probably the N64 era, like high school. But I definitely would go over, friends would have them, and I would go over, be at their house, and definitely be reading through it. I was more on the uh, EGM electric gaming monthly, um, game players and diehard game fan mm-hmm. train than I was, uh, the Nintendo bag bandwagon. And a lot of that came from in the 16 bit era when I was really getting heavily into gaming, I started out as a Genesis guy. Ah. So I didn't have the Nintendo nostalgia that, that most people in the gaming community do.
0: I knew there was a reason I hated you. I, I appreciate you <laughs> solidifying that. You know, I'm happy to just lay that all <laughs> out there for you. Well, I I remember I I was a, I was a long time subscriber, and uh, one of the issues was a a uh, Ninja Gaiden. I don't know if it was a strategy guide necessarily, but mm-hmm. it was a, it was an issue that had a Ninja Gaiden poster in it, and I remember this was at a time when I was big into ninjas, like. You may not know this about me, uh, Scott, but I owned and still own caltrops. I own uh, hand uh, uh, knit claws and foot claws to like climb up trees and stuff. Like I, nice. I, I literally own those things. Uh, I I have a whole like treasure chest in my basement that's just full of like ninja stuff. Uh, a friend of mine, uh, growing up, we had. We literally had full like ninja garb. We had tabi boots. We we had all of this stuff because it was just that was what we wanted to be. And I remember an episode of Nintendo Power that had a pull po- a poster of Ninja a Ninja Gaiden poster. And I would love to find this on eBay and, and repurchase it because it was just such a an important artifact in my childhood. But on the reverse side of this poster, it had a bunch of ninja facts, and these were. Facts that uh, they 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 were it was it would they were strangely specific to to a child who would love to know about ninjas, and would love to lord ninja knowledge over their playground friends. Uh, there were things like, did you know ninjas would look at the eyes of cats to know what time it was, because it <laughs> talked to yeah it talked about like how cat eyes would like be of certain sizes. So you know the the higher the sun was in the sky, the the cat's eyes would be. S- thinner and so you could tell the time by the cat's eyes and there was one like you know ninjas would use their swords to climb up higher uh to climb up over like walls and stuff and it would show them standing on like the scat the 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 hand uh, uh uh the the edge of the sword basically the ninjas would stick their sword in the ground and you would step up on top of the the handle of your sword to climb up over a wall and that kind of stuff and those were things that I was like, yeah, I need to get a sword so I can climb over walls. <laughs> like <laughs> like that was my logic. <laughs> I have I
1: have a couple of katanas and wakazashis, so apparently I need to, uh, to your to your, your
0: <laughs>
1: Kansas City ninja clan. Oh my gosh. If,
0: if we ever got together, we just have to like bring all of our ninja shit together. <laughs> I'm trying to remember, like I definitely have like shuriken still. I have uh I, I would I would keep like Uh, I, I, so I have, this will be the picture. This will be the picture for, for this week's episode in the show notes. I have a, a book literally called, uh, improvised ninja smoke bombs. And it's literally (laughs) a book about how to create smoke bombs. So (laughs) I'm going to take a picture of that. That's going to be our little, a little picture. Oh gosh. Anyway, I feel like I've, I put us on a crazy tangent. We're already at like 40 minutes in this podcast and we haven't even gotten through like, but two topics so <laughs> uh other than ghost of sushimi uh what other games are, are there any other games i guess that have excited did you did you just
1: call it ghosts
0: of sashimi yeah ghost yeah. of sushi Sash-
1: sashimi is sushi yeah that's yeah. ghost, of, ghost sushi. of sushi
0: i mean sushi's dead fish right of course yeah. there's going to be ghosts
1: Tell well ninj- ninjas can kill fish
0: that's oh can they ever they got they got to be able to kill Su- fish ghost of sushimi okay we've got Good. that <laughs> yeah
1: <laughs> Ghost of, what about uh, what about Concrete Genie? That was another one that I hadn't uh, hadn't ever seen before. Was that the reveal for that one as well?
0: I think so. Yeah, it was during that time that they revealed it. I had never heard of it, and this was a game that just watching it seemed to tick all the boxes that I love. I love games that are all about visuals. I love games that seem to be more about storytelling than combat or anything like that. What I didn't like about this reveal was that I I don't know shit about this game. No, I I don't know I don't know what it's what it. It looks like it has some mechanics that could be cool, but I have no idea what they're trying to do with it. So my fear is that PlayStation basically, Sony basically said, w- "We like the look of this thing you're doing. You've got to give us a trailer." And the developer said, "I don't, I don't know what we're what we're doing with this yet. There's no <laughs> mechanics. There's not. There's nothing created." And Sony said, "I don't care. Put put it up there." And I, my fear is that that's the case because that's going to force now the developers to play into whatever they now projected I'm reading um, uh, blood sweat and pixels a book uh, we're reading it for the cartridge club book club so everyone listening should check that out at cartridgeclub.org search for book club in the forums you'll find it uh, but they talk about the idea that developers will a lot of times develop specifically for the shows so developers will develop around a trailer for e3 and then once that trailer's public, now the developer's like, well, shit, now we've got to develop a game that really meets those expectations. And that can be debilitating to developers. That can be debilitating to the people who really care about the game and don't just care about the the marketing. Um, so my fear is that this game could fall into that category where the marketing is going to supersede the actual game itself. I hope not because it looks really,
1: really, really cool. It definitely caught my eye. Really neat artwork, really kind of combination of gritty sort of almost like a gotham style world but with just Mm -hmm. all about bringing color to it it seemed like that was kind of
0: my take it was like okami meets batman begins Mm -hmm. yeah with a little jet set radio maybe in there a little bit Yep. Yeah, so I'm really excited about that and then I'm also excited about Shadow of Colossus. But I, I threw that I throw that in there at the end because I've never played it. Uh, I recently completed um what game? Their their other game, the three games they have. Ico? Uh no, Eco I've always loved from the beginning. What's the last one? Uh Last Guardian. Uh recently completed Last Guardian. Really, really liked it. Um, so I'm finally, I'm glad that I'm finally able to jump into Shadow of Colossus. I've never played it before, and this will be a perfect opportunity. So that may actually be a day one purchase for me. Um, oh, nice. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, speaking of, uh, uh say we, we got to bring back these, uh, segues. We can do this. Uh, okay. So speaking of day one purchases that may or may not end up being regrettable and Ooh. therefore might need to be. Sold used God damn it yeah. Okay I don't know yeah. I'm trying you,
1: you sort of salvaged that <laughs> you, you almost got I tried. There. Almost Almost <laughs> well, Next one I think we can do better
0: I, I hope so Because the next one's your topic So we better do better <laughs> than that So uh, GameStop is now offering Unlimited six month access To pre-owned games It's essentially GameStop Joining the the uh, Joining the I was going to say Burgeoning rental market But it's No The rental market It shouldn't <laughs> be burgeoning but I guess it's GameStop is on the verge of going the way of Blockbuster. <laughs> oh, God. But. You know, I, part of me hopes so. Part of me hopes not. So I hope so because I've never been a fan of GameStop. But part of me hopes not because GameStop is still a a a common uh, beacon of gamedom, right? Like it's still yeah. as, much as, as much as gamers and game collectors especially hate GameStop. They are still the uh, the, the beacon in the, in the eye of most public, uh, people in the public to say that gaming is still relevant. So when GameStop suffers, I feel like gaming as a whole may suffer. Um, that is unless of course, gaming, GameStop is suffering only because, uh, gaming itself is changing and that could be a different topic all entirely. But anyway, the whole point of this is that GameStop is offering, uh, basically what amounts to a rental, capability. They're offering six-month uh, subscriptions, essentially subscriptions to uh, rent their used stock, $60 for six months. Uh, it launches November 13th. Um, and there's some caveats and some nuances to this, which we'll get into. But before we do so, I'd like to pass it over to you, Scott, because you, you're, you're a collector. Uh, I don't know if you have a collector stance on this um, you're also a, a former uh, game store owner, so you probably have some certain stances on this as well. I'll touch on the,
1: the second question first in terms of from a, a game store owner perspective. I think it's a great idea for them from a business perspective. One of the biggest hurdles with GameStop is that they need to be able to to turn over their inventory at a at a relatively fast pace because uh, all of the money that you have tied that a company has tied up in their inventory that's part of their working capital that's just money that they need to set aside that can't be used for anything else that is essentially uh, like a sunk kind of cost um, that you just can never really tap into for fear of ruining your weakening your overall sales business but. This process of almost a, a rental system allows them to monetize that working capital in a in a recurring way. Mm-hmm. And so many businesses in all different industries are really trying to convert, from a transaction model where I go in I plop down my money I buy your widget and then I walk away and our transaction is done to more of a subscription service model where there's a recurring revenue and there's money that's flowing in every single uh, every single month or every single you know recurring time period the latter is much more lucrative. You know, there's a, there's a reason that every gym that you sign up for is going to sign you up for a subscription rather than to say, yeah, you can pay $5 every time you want to you know, walk in the door mm-hmm. because there's going to be anywhere from 70 to to 20%, depending on the product of their subscriber base that just will not utilize it. Mm-hmm. So it's it's just the the profit margins are so much higher effectively what gamestop is doing here you mentioned it at $60 for 6 months they're getting and you get you do get to keep the final game but you can you can keep you know swapping it in and out and and trying different games but they're effectively getting you to pay up front for that game 6 months out so they're moving their cash flow forward in time that makes the cash more valuable to them because of time value of money and they're essentially selling you a used game six months from now for sixty dollars today. It's like the 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 old Popeye thing. I'd, I'd gladly give you two dollars
0: tomorrow for a hamburger today. Mm-hmm, hmm. The small town I grew up in, there were a couple of uh, video game rental stores, a video and video game rental stores. And I remember at the time they allowed users, people to buy their their stock at a certain cost that was l- lower than a new new, uh, that was, that was lower than buying it brand new. And at the time I didn't think much of it. And I just thought, Oh, that, that's a, you know, they're, they're, they're a used game set. They're, they're a used game store. And now that, uh, I re I read this, this GameStop news and I think, well, they were almost ahead of their time, but in kind of the reverse, they were not a, a, uh, they, they weren't a used game store that was now renting. They were instead a rental store that was also selling their stock as well. And at the time, I didn't think anything of it, and it does, it seems like such a, a great idea from a business standpoint for all the reasons that you outlined. I I worry, though, that does it do anything to the gamers, to the everyday gamers, not the collectors, not the hardcore gamers, but the everyday gamers that depend on a consistent and expected stock at, at a GameStop store? I think that there's
1: probably not a lot of risk there (laughs) Uh, aside from the people who who are signing up for this thinking that they're going to go in on release day and get you know a a copy of whatever the new release game is you know if i went in there on october 28th and thought i was going to get wolfenstein 2 those people are going to be disappointed Mm -hmm. because those will definitely not be available um and frankly the the they probably won't be available to buy either because the minute it's out there somebody's going to grab it to rent but i think a large you know by the time a game is a couple of weeks old they've usually got a pretty hefty stock of most of the the real AAA type titles and i tend to think that the people who are going to make the most use out of something like this are probably going to be cycling through more mainstream games. Mm-hmm. I think people who are going to be looking for titles that are more niche, more um kind of the rarities that you might walk into a GameStop and find one copy of. I think those people are going to tend to be more the the people that'll want to buy the game. Yeah, they may want to rent it to test it out, but I think they're going to want to buy it. Yeah. But I you know who knows. I we At my game stores, we did something similar to this. Um, We didn't do a, a subscription model like this, but we did allow people to essentially rent any games that we had in that were used. You could basically buy the game and then for up to, I think it was seven days, you could return it at any time in there for any reason and just pay basically what amounted to like either 50 cents or a dollar a day. We found that most people didn't really ever make use of it. Mm-hmm. They would just it would just be more more hassle than it's worth. But I think a subscription model sort of promotes more usage because you think of $60 for six months. That's basically 10 bucks a month. That's about the same price as GameFly, and you can you, know, you don't have the shipping times. So mm-hmm. You can just walk right in, swap the games out, um, really collapse it, and then get to keep a game at the end. So it's a better deal than GameFly if you live near a GameStop or have one that's convenient in your in your daily travels but for GameStop another thing that this does is the fact that you have to do this all in store is it increases foot traffic and that's a huge thing so they they're really this program is checking two boxes that every retail operator is trying to do create a recurring revenue stream check and increase foot traffic to their store which then increases sales overall because the more often you're in the store, the more likely it is that you're going to buy a game while you're there, while you're picking up the next rental. Or if you're not picking up that, you might buy uh, a, a time card for PlayStation Network, or you might buy um, uh, an Xbox, Xbox Live points, or you might buy a, a Funko pop or, you know, some, something from their, their think geek line, just you being in the store makes it more likely that they're going to get some revenue from you than if you were not setting foot in the store, obviously. So checks, two huge boxes that all retail businesses uh, are, are trying to, to gun for. What
0: happens though, when everything, everything moves to digital because that's what's happening as we've learned recently when Blizzard announced that over 50% of their Destiny 2 copies were sold digitally. This is a big this is kind of a big deal. This is kind of a big deal.
1: It's absolutely a big deal. Activision Blizzard had their they announced their third quarter earnings last Thursday, so a week ago today as we record this, and they they announced that they had a record third quarter revenue they had more revenue than any third quarter they've ever had that includes when world of warcraft was at its height um you it it's astounding really and so much of it was attributed they said to the fact that they sold so many copies of destiny digitally and we alluded to this a couple of episodes ago that game publishers are the huge winners of digital distribution because mm-hmm. they're getting a much larger slice of the revenue pie than they are of, of physical games because A, they're not getting a haircut because of used games taking a huge chunk out of their market and B, their their supply chain stream is much more streamlined and much more, much more profitable. Uh, Activision's CEO, Activision Blizzard's uh, CFO, sorry, Spencer Newman in their earnings call said that the consumer trend they're seeing is a shift to full is a shift to full game digital downloads and it's real it's a strong tailwind for our business and it's a good thing digital sales of games are roughly 10 percent direct profit improvement for the company so i mean if if you're a game publisher you are absolutely pushing digital sales and you're loving this trend that uh that that's happening in in the game industry and if you're a a collector or someone (laughs) who thinks that they want to play their games of today you know Twenty five years down the road, well, you're uh, you're the loser in this battle.
0: Now, if you're still alive twenty five years from now, then you'll be fine, right? That's what we determined uh, during the last episode. Uh, yeah, as long as you're yeah. alive, you're fine.
1: Well, n- not necessarily because it's a revocable license too. So that means ah, that's can, right. It's not just not transferable, but it's also revocable, meaning they can pull it from you at any time. Why so. do you got to be
0: such a lawyer all the time?
1: Jeez. <laughs> The lawyers are—we get teased that we're in the the fun and profit killing business. Um, <laughs> that's awesome. So, right, um, that's that's what we do.
0: I, do you think uh, the the how much of this do you think it's because Destiny Two and Destiny are primarily multiplayer games? Do you think we would see the same kind of uh, uh, movement toward digital only if it was not a multiplayer? primarily game? Or do you think this is? Yeah, my my thinking is that no, if if Destiny were not a multiplayer game, we wouldn't necessarily see as much digital uh, revenue going that direction. I think people who are going to buy a multiplayer game are already thinking in terms of online and thinking in terms of of not necessarily needing uh, physical media, because they're already thinking in terms of online multiplayer. I don't know if that Maybe has an impact on it at all.
1: I think that's definitely right. I think games that are tied to servers inherently already already have that risk of the game being shut off and a game disc being useless. And frankly, I think the argument for physical media—and this is going to sound weird for me to say—but the argument against physical or the argument for physical media is going away just by nature of the fact that. Every game has that gets released these days has a day one patch to basically make the thing even playable. Mm-hmm. By and large, you know, you I put in Assassin's Creed had a patch. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, Assassin's Creed Unity was virtually unplayable for a month before uh, it, They finally patched out the bugs from it. If you go, you know, ten, fifteen years down the line, and you'd no longer have access to these these. Essential game fixes, then that game is essentially useless anyway. So I think it starts with the, the the games that are tied to servers, but even single player games by nature of required patches and the dependency upon them are going to be... If, de facto tied to servers as well and we just don't realize it that's mm. my fear
0: thanks for bumming me out appreciate it hey at least i'm consistent hey you know what if we want to be consistent about bumming people out we might as well move into uh the story of telltale who lays off 25 oh. percent of their workforce
1: this is, this, oh. is
0: sad. this is sad i i really
1: love the telltale games i just like story driven stuff and i don't need to I, they get crapped on a lot for just being quick time event movies but i i really have fun with the telltale games i loved the game of thrones series i played through the game of thrones um series that they put out and in preparation for this most recent season of of the tv series kind of get me in the mood and get me back into thinking about kind of the game myth or the world mythos and everything the Wolf Among Us was fantastic. I'm not a huge Walking Dead TV guy, but I did really enjoy the the Walking Dead tell, Telltale games. But they're feeling the crunch of the shifting industry as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the the times are changing, and and they're trying to shift focus. So I'm hoping that this isn't a a sign of future problems for them, and that. This is more about streamlining their operation. That's my hope. What are what are what are your thoughts on?
0: That's my hope as well. I mean, I have never actually played any of the Telltale games, although they seem like games that I would truly enjoy. Um, me being a fan of Walking Sims, me being a fan of of narrative driven story uh, stories. I think what's what's pulled me away from them is that they are so closely tied to established uh, IPs. Um, so if to me, from an outsider's perspective, if I don't care about the IP, then I feel like I'm not going to care about the game. Now, you just mentioned that you're not a fan of the Walking Dead series on TV, so you but you still liked the games. Um, I think knowing that someone who's not a fan of the series can still enjoy the games is 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 a good thing. but I, f- I fear that uh, the telltale games are already addressing a niche of a niche. Um, not that, you know, Walking Dead is a niche audience, but it's still not a, a it's still a specific audience. And so you're you're going after a very small audience to begin with. Um, and so this news was a bit surprising to me only because I have heard so many good things about the telltale, tell, tell, game. that's hard to say the telltale games. Um, I've never heard anyone say they don't like them. I mean, everyone who's played them has said, yeah, I really like these games. Uh, so to see that they're laying off people, uh, either tells me a, that the company itself was just not very good at managing, uh, you know, the, the, the people expense, you know, they, they hired, incorrectly or that the appetite for these types of games is not as robust as I thought it was. Now I'm hoping in a weird way that it's the former. Um, I would much rather feel like a a, a developer a, a company didn't necessarily know how know how to hire correctly than say a the appetite for a game is 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 not as robust as I thought because I really want the gaming world to be robust. So that, that's my hope. Um, we'll see how it goes. You know, I, I've in many, many times I've had t- uh, Telltale Games on my uh, wish list. I've had them in my carts already to purchase. So I've gotten very close. Maybe if I were to hit that uh, purchase button, they wouldn't be laying off so many people. It's my fault. I'm sorry.
1: How dare you, Caleb J. Ross. My
0: fault. It's my fault. Well, while, while I may be able to be blamed for laying off the entire, well, 25% of the telltale uh staff which i guess we should say uh they only had four people that were working for them so really they're just laying off one person um (laughs) that's not true they had many more than that uh so but uh but i can still relish uh the fact that i have plenty of uh playstation trophies uh i'm so for years for years everyone has told me and my mother included uh, specifically my mother that caleb those trophies will never get you anything my mom said, Caleb, <laughs> you're only laughing because you know what the notes of this show say, so you know where I'm going. Uh, Caleb, <laughs> these why do you play so many video games? You're, the, these trophies are getting. They're never going to amount to anything. You can't feed a family enough of trophies. To which I can now respond, oh, yeah? Uh, can I feed a family on video games? <laughs> to, to which she will respond, no. And I will say, well, then you're right, mom. I can't feed a family <laughs> off of these trophies, but I can buy video games now with these trophies. so that's there's there's some give and take there. So you <laughs> uh, it, it see, it's only funny cause you don't know my mom. My mom sucks. So I uh, know she's great. Uh, so the 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 Sony uh, Rewards program now lets you use PlayStation trophies to buy games, which I thought this was extremely cool. Um, yeah. Why is this not a bigger story? This seems like a very, very cool thing. Uh, all of the play, I mean, I don't know. It, in every way to me, it seems like the greatest thing ever. You have these very dedicated players that will play your games, will, will buy into your, your uh, platform, your system, your games will play hours and hours and hours to get these trophies. And now Sony's saying, we should give you something for those trophies. What I like about this is that the trophy, the, the, and we'll get into a little bit more of the nuances, but in general, uh, the rewards that you're given for these trophies aren't contingent upon specific games necessarily, or it's not Sony trying to say, well, this one will work, but this one won't work. They're not trying to really, um, segment and make nuances or anything like that. What they're saying is no across the board, This particular type of trophy will get you this particular type of reward, which I like because the trophies are by and large governed by the uh, developers themselves. Like as a game developer, I could say, I will give you a platinum trophy for simply turning on the game. Like I could do that if I wanted to. Uh, And Sony is saying, yeah, you can do that if you wanted to, and we're still going to give you a certain amount of money essentially for a platinum trophy um, or a certain number of points for a platinum trophy that you can then exchange for a um, uh, uh, game, uh, buying games and things like that. So I glossed over a lot of things there, but the point is that I, I really think this is a cool idea.
1: Yeah, it's a really cool idea. Sony's had a reward system for a couple of years now that I've virtually... Completely ignored (laughs) because it didn't have anything to do with games. Like you got these points for registering games and stuff, and registering movies, but you really you could only use them to get digital movies and music and stuff like that that I just don't really care about. But now you can actually use the rewards more in a game facing scenario, and I think they're going to do it's for a a thousand points a thousand reward points on sony rewards equals ten dollars in playstation store credit and you get points every hundred silver trophies you have you get a hundred points every 25 gold trophies you have you get 250 points and then every platinum trophy you have, you get a thousand points. So it definitely takes some time to build mm-hmm. up enough, you know, enough PlayStation store credit, but that stacks with things like if you buy Blu-rays or you know, voodoo movies or, or anything like that, digital copies of movies, those you register with Sony, any some Sony movie studios movie. You, you get points for that. Sony Music, you get points for that. So it's kind of cool that uh, they're finally bringing the the games into it and, and actually giving you something. I think this is retroactive. So if you link your Sony Rewards account with your PlayStation Network account, I think it goes through and says, oh, okay, you know, they've got... This person has this many silver trophies, this many gold trophies, this many platinum trophies. I award you so many points, right? -hmm. I just linked my accounts last night, and I think it says it takes up to five days to do it. So I'm not sure that that's how it works and goes retroactively, but that's my understanding of it. Frankly, I think part of the reason that this isn't getting much press is that it's it's, it doesn't seem very, very well described even in Sony rewards, uh, website. It's, you sort of have to dig for it.
0: Mm, that explains why I'm having trouble right now. So I'm, I'm clicking around trying to figure out how to do it. Not that I have too many trophies to really, uh, uh, cash in, but yeah, it's, it's a little difficult. I like
1: it though. I mean, why not? Yeah. Why not? Cool idea. Yeah. Very cool, cool idea. idea. I'm always I'm all about free stuff. Yeah, especially you know digital content because free is the best price for
0: that stuff. You know what's the second best price? Black Friday prices. Uh, Should we Should we talk a little bit about Black Friday? So as this episode releases, uh, Black Friday is just around the corner, and uh, for gamers everywhere, Black Friday is not the time where you find great great deals. Uh, to buy gifts for your friends and family. It's a time where you find great, great deals to buy gifts for yourself.
1: Yes, it is. <laughs> Caleb and I were just talking before the show that I think most of my Christmas shopping is done on like three to four days before Christmas, and then I just <laughs> have my stuff shipped. But November, now that's all about buying stuff for me.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm with you. The last big Black Friday deal I purchased was uh, my TV in my my office slash game room. Uh, I say really? slash game room because my wife doesn't think of it as a game room. She she buys into the idea that it's my office, but really it's my game room. And <laughs> uh, and and you know I have a 55 inch TV on the wall. Um, I, I I that that was my really only big uh, Black Friday purchase. Uh, this year might be a little different. Um, there's some good deals floating around. I'm I'm excited about it. Yeah, there's some really good
1: good hardware deals. There's a lot of Xbox One S deals that are out there where you bundle with a couple of different games, good controller deals, and then there's always I think one of my favorite things about Black Friday. I I've done a couple of years where I've gone and and upgraded my TV on black friday but by and large most of my black friday spending is like volume spending mm. and it's way to as a collector i go back and i i buy up a bunch of the stuff that's sort of fallen through my radar or just stuff that i didn't pick up because i knew oh i'll get this on black friday things that are a lot of AAA type titles um, a lot of titles that are games where i just didn't want to pay retail and and didn't want to get a snot covered copy at GameStop <laughs> somewhere and Best Buy Best Buy and Target are usually both real and and Amazon now that they basically match everything are always really good about just having stacks of games that are relatively recent for in the 999 bin or the 1499 bin the 20 dollars bin and that's usually where i spend most of my time and money on on black friday
0: mm-hmm. uh yeah i'm looking forward to it you know I, are there specific deals out there that you found so far or specific places that you found that really uh, kind of aggregate uh, all of the great deals that are out there?
1: Yeah. So there's, there's a couple of sites that I use to do my planning for Black Friday. One is bfads.net. They basically aggregate all of the different ads and have contests and stuff. And you can actually see the ad scans, things like that. Um, and then that, that the focus is they focus Across all of the stuff, not just gaming. So it's a good way if you're actually looking for presents for things or if someone in your life is not obsessed with video games for some reason and you haven't ejected them from your life yet. Yeah, This is a good all in one place for you. A very holistic approach to Black Friday. And then if you're looking for just pure gaming Black Friday news, I definitely recommend checking out CheapAssGamer.com. Keg is one of the places that I spend a lot of time on online. It's a little more than a web forum, really. Um, But it's all about people posting deals for video games and movies, Blu-rays, anything really in the collector's media market. And they always have a really nice thread every year that people post... Uh, compilations of all of the the game deals that are available and a lot of times the last couple of years they've actually made it into a google spreadsheet Hmm. where you can see you know on on an item by item basis what is every one of the retailers have for a price on it so you can see in one spot for each individual item where's the best place to get it and you can kind of prioritize your your shopping that way there's still some some retailers that haven't been announced yet. I'm just looking through some of the the, the lists of, of sales that have been announced. Best Buy's ad is out there now, um, and they've got just a ton of of games that are in the more in the classification of what I was looking for for games in the fourteen ninety nine group. And there's you know probably there must be almost. Thirty games there or something uh things like uh the uncharted nathan drake collection for 14.99 it's basically five bucks a game the last of us remastered for honor bioshock collection until dawn mass effect andromeda gears of war rise of the tomb raider ukulele caleb's uh gem yay gem. it's good it's good guys the 1999 games there's things like *Disgaea 5 horizon zero dawn fallout 4 pokemon x and y mario kart 7 you know, pokemon omega uh, ruby alpha sapphire resident evil 7 injustice 2 and then there's a couple in the $25 bundle that I'm looking forward to, to, some that are relatively newer titles that I have been waiting for, specifically for Black Friday deals. One-two Switch mm. is 25 bucks, and that's kind of my sweet spot for that. I, I think that'd be a fun game just to have on hand for when people come over and want to check out the Switch. Still too much. Well, and sometimes, though, the they didn't do this last year, but the Gamers Club Unlocked before prior to last year had stacked with black Friday sale prices. So you could get the $25 price and then get the 20% off on top of that. I'm hoping they go back to that this year. There was a lot of uh blowback on them last year for excluding that. So here's hoping, mm. but yeah, that's 25 is definitely my max on one, two switch, but then there's crash Bandicoot insane trilogy, Wolfenstein two evil within two near automata. Hmm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Tekken 7. So really I mean some great games in the in the $25 bundle. And then the $30 bundle is stuff that I'm less excited about. It's like your newest Madden's, FIFA, NBA 2K18, Destiny 2, Overwatch. A lot of recent stuff that's not nothing there really interests me all that much.
0: What's interesting is uh, ShopCo, which is a site that I have not really used in the past. Uh, they're $30 games. They have games like uh, uh, Wolfenstein 2, they have as $30. They have uh, uh, Assassin's Creed Origins as 40 but then they have Evil Within 2 as 30, $30. Um, and those are games that literally just came out, so that's pretty cool. Um, yeah, you know, that's, Fallout that's... 4, they have for $20, and Fallout 4 is still a phenomenal game. I mean, it's yeah, about a year old, but worth getting um so yeah assassin or uh, middle earth shadow
1: of Mordor they have as a thirty dollar one
0: mm-hmm. I might uh, I might have to no no I'm on hiatus I'm on hiatus Scott you <laughs> you demon <laughs>
1: you're horrible you could get yourself a PlayStation VR at Target
0: for two hundred dollars stop it no that one yeah. actually no amount of money is really gonna get me to buy into that <laughs> hard, I, I, hard pass yeah I got all. I'll keep an open mind, but I'm just not, it's not going to happen, so. (laughs) Oh, well, that's fun. That's fun, Scott.
1: What would you say is your best Black Friday memory? Do you have, like, an iconic memory of a Black Friday?
0: No, because we we grew up, uh, growing up, uh, we were in a small town. Black Friday was kind of a thing, but not really. Uh, And then it wasn't until I was older and I had my own money that Black Friday became a thing, but... Even then, I never. The only time I really engaged in Black Friday was really, honestly, when I mentioned earlier that I picked up the TV I have right now. Before that, I, other than that, I just I did. I don't care. Um, there have been a few times when I've gone to Black Friday. I've gotten up early in the morning, but only to watch the craziness that happens, like as a spectator, <laughs> and that's pretty fun. That's pretty fun. But I will say, I you know, I, I will uh, commend last year when I picked up my TV from Walmart. It was during Black Friday they did really good about keeping things organized. I think maybe they finally uh, felt some of the blowback by the lack of security and craziness that happened. And they actually did a, I I must commend them. You know, I I love to, I worked at Walmart for about five years in college. So I feel like I have the ability and the right to uh, criticize them if I want. Uh, And I do as often as I can. But in this particular instance, I think, you know, I think they've they've learned some lessons, and so I've appreciated the experience I've had there so far.
1: I have to think that the the online yeah just the availability of most of the deals online has has had to have helped thin the herd a little bit, and the the line forming all you know at midnight or whatever the night before. I just have I don't do I haven't done in person Black Friday shopping for probably. It's probably been ten years now, just because it's all I, I do it all online. As we've we've said in the podcast many times, I'm antisocial to begin <laughs> with, so that's uh, really my perfect style of shopping is uh, from behind the a keyboard.
0: <laughs> a social gamer is a gamer I don't trust. I'll say it. I'll say it right here. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Every gamer true. has an element of antisocialness to them, and if you don't, you're not a real gamer. Come on, <laughs> so try try harder. Come on.
1: That's right. We're all about reinforcing stereotypes here. Yeah, we
0: hang out in basements. We play our computer-based RPG text adventures, and we we have acne. And uh, dangerous
1: to go alone, but we're gonna do it
0: anyway. (laughs) We've never kissed a girl. That's important to know. (laughs) Girls Uh, have cooties. That's true. Ew, gross. Cooties are like negative sixteen hit points. So, uh huh.
1: I have it on. I have that on good authority. (laughs) Um, I've never met one, but. I believe that to be the case.
0: <laughs> oh, this has been fun. This is this has been a fun little fun little uh, podcast adventure. I, I'm hoping that any of you listeners are still listening after an hour and a half ish, almost possibly. Yeah, and we uh, hope
1: you don't get trampled
0: in your foray into uh, Black Friday's mm-hmm.
1: um, abyss.
0: If you next do, week. go ahead and just uh, give uh, Scott or myself. Uh, ownership over your will. Uh, we should be really the people who inherit all of your games when you die. Uh, your yeah, your family yeah. doesn't care. We care. Well, yeah. Scott cares. I, I'm not. I'm still going to say I'm not a collector. I'm refusing to embrace that term. So I will say Scott deserves all of your rare games. I deserve all of your fun games. So because <laughs> I'm not going to play them. Anyway. Those are mutually exclusive. So <laughs> with that in mind, uh, I think it's really important that we say. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, it's been a blast. We really appreciate you listening to this episode. What are we at eight? Is that right? Y- yeah, this is episode eight. Ah, that's crazy pants. Yeah, uh, episode yeah. eight. So, where can you find us online? You can find us collectively at m o u podcast dot. No, no, no. M o u. What, what's the What's the uh, Twitter account? The, the, the Twitters. The thank We, you. we on the Twitters. <laughs> As at MOU Podcast. MOU Podcast.
1: Yeah. I knew that was Yeah, right. you don't need a .com or anything there <laughs> unless you're typing in Twitter. God,
0: these kids these days, getting rid of yeah. .coms. Next thing you know, they're going to be getting rid of our uh our 401ks. Ah, these oh, kids. Oh, man. Yep. Uh, MOU it's Podcast a, on Twitter. Freaking millennials. Caleb J. Ross. Uh, on on Twitter, uh, we've got VG Collectaholic. That's Scott on Twitter. So you can find any of us on Twitter, but collectively at Mou Podcast on Twitter. You can also find us on uh, Masters of You can find us on Facebook. Just search for Masters of Unlocking. And you'll find us. Uh, where else? What 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 am I missing? Where else? Well, you can listen to the podcast. I found it somewhere clearly, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm.
1: you can listen to it on our website. Caleb mentioned Masters of Unlocking or you can find us on iTunes. Google Play mm-hmm. or The Stitcher. Ooh. And that's where we're at uh, to put put this delicious vocals and uh, and sweet, sweet opening and closing music into your brain.
0: And why, why not prove to the world that the stereotype isn't true and that you do in fact have friends, even though you're a gamer, and share this with your friends? That'd be helpful. I'd appreciate that. I won't give you anything yeah. for it,
1: but I'd appreciate it. Yeah. Spread the world. Give us some love. Uh, we certainly appreciate it. And if you really, really love us, go f- feel free to go over to iTunes and give us a rating or even write us a, v- a review. We'd love to mm-hmm. to
0: read your thoughts over there. Yeah. But
1: only if you like us. If you don't like us, eh, don't go over there and, and do all that stuff. That's a lot of work for negativity.
0: <laughs> I'll second that. As Scott said, spread the world. All right. <laughs> You're going to listen back to this and realize you did say spread the world. All right. Bye. Spread. I spread. spread the world? <laughs> yep. Spread the world. I got to say bye yes. before you can say anything else because <laughs> you have to the, – the podcast has to end with you being like the joke. So <laughs> bye. <laughs> Hit the music. Yep. <laughs>